Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you, as always, from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. We've skipped right over spring here and gone directly to summer with temperatures in the 80s this week. I'm glad you've decided to tune in and listen to me talk about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week on Wednesday evenings, and welcome to those of you checking things out for the first time. I hope you'll enjoy the experience. We're going to get to our interview this week in just a moment. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. This week I talked to Lucas Seehofer, who writes about the Lynx and the Twins. We talk about physical ailments of some of our favorite athletes, and so we're going to get right to that right now. Joining the program this week, is Lucas Seehofer. Uh, I was familiar with Lucas's work. He was writing for the Otana People's Press, writing the sports section and everything. He's moved on to some other things. Uh, He still does some sports writing for Twins Daily and for The Next. And uh, he also does some physical therapy. He's an adjunct professor um, dealing with some things in in the exercise science and physical therapy world. Lucas, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, why, why don't you explain to the listeners a little bit just kind of how these how these things intersect, the, the journey you've taken as a, both a writer and also physical therapy. Yeah, so it, it's kind of been a, a bit of a circuitous route, or maybe, uh, maybe that's not the right word, but basically I, I, when I was in grad school uh, for during my first year, I, I knew that I needed some sort of some sort of outlet to kind of burn off steam um, during my times when I wasn't studying. Um, and I started my own blog uh, about the Minnesota Timberwolves at the time, uh, who were, uh, you know, probably one of the worst teams in, in franchise history, which is really saying something. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of one thing led to another. Um, the right people um, got the, got eyeballs on my work and recruited me to write for a couple different places, um, most notably uh, Canis Hoopus, which is affiliated with uh, SB Nation. Um, and then eventually a Wolf Among Wolves, which was um, an independent blog that used to be affiliated with ESPN uh, back during their True Hoop days. Um, and then started writing about basketball, started incorporating some of the stuff I was learning in PT school and the injury analysis, that kind of stuff. Um, one thing led to another, um, and all of a sudden here I am, six, seven years later, uh, <laughs> still writing about sports and, and still doing physical therapy. That's 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 very cool. You can find uh, Lucas on Twitter. Um, as I said, I kind of knew him from his days at the Otana paper and, and followed him on to Twitter and, and stuff. And again, Twins Daily, um, we've had, I, I always mispronounce his last name too, uh, Ted Schwartzler uh, mm-hmm. on the program before. And uh, so it, it's a fantastic place to get a lot of information. I get my email every day and, and look at a lot of the stories and have a good time there. Well, let's let's uh, talk about, you know, this physical therapy thing and you bring that, you talk about that, bring that up. There's a lot of injury news all the time, and if you're a sports fan, you, you follow all that. Um, and some things become really obvious and easy. Carlos Correa gets hit in the hand twice in one game and <laughs> breaks a finger, and he's going to be on the shelf for a while. But some of the other things seem like they become very, very cautious with these professional athletes. Is there such a thing as being too cautious when it comes to these high-level athletes? Yeah, so I think I think there's a couple couple things going on in your, in your question there. Uh, first and, and foremost is that the what's um, kind of reported out to us, whether that's through team press releases or 
you know, beat writers who maybe don't have a, have a ton of medical um, knowledge, you know, that's not necessarily um, their job. Their job is to get the information out there. Um, and, and what is often relayed is not kind of the whole picture. Like you, you find out that, um, you know, kind of uh, the example is this uh, thing that's going on with Ben Simmons in the NBA. Uh, the, team, the team is particularly vague at releasing information, which leads to speculation, which leads to, uh, you know, people kind of guessing at how things are going more than having kind of uh, knowledgeable opinions about them. Um, now, other teams are better at that than, than others. The Twins are usually fairly transparent about what's going on. Um, same with the Timberwolves. Um, the links like we're, we're pretty lucky here in the state of minnesota that the teams are, are about as transparent as you can ask for right um so when it comes to you know is it such thing as being too cautious um i, I uh, i'll say i'm gonna say no uh, and, and here's why um i think most uh people that are working with professional athletes are some of the most highly trained and knowledgeable people in their profession um, so and and they're working with these athletes, you know, on a day, daily, hourly basis. So they kind of have an intricate knowledge of, you know, what they were like before their injury, what they're like now, um, how their progression is going, that kind of stuff. So like when when people like me or other people who have medical knowledge that come out on Twitter and say, hey, this injury usually takes you know X amount of weeks to get better, that's kind of the general timeline. Um, I always try to portray like, hey, you know this is the general timeline but you can have you know plus or minus two weeks you know on it on any given side of that um most teams tend to if anything go longer uh because the research has showed that you know the best you know the, the best indicator for future injury is past injury right so you want to make sure your athlete is is as good as possible before they go back so they limit that that risk of, of getting re-injured right. or injuring something else yeah i mean the the basics I've always told young people when I coached and everything else that, you know, you, as soon as you sprain your ankle, it's that much easier to sprain your ankle again in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's, it has to do with how the, how the, um, injury healed, you know, the, t- the new tissue that gets laid down for the, the old injured tissue isn't as strong. Um, maybe it's a, uh, it's a body mechanics issue. Um, there's a whole bunch of different factors. And, and that's another thing I try to get across in my analysis is that, you know, it rarely, uh, you know, you can point to Carlos Correa and you can say that's why he injured his finger because he got hit with a 90-mile-an-hour fastball right on the finger. Right. Um, but for most injuries, you can't necessarily do that. They're very multifactorial, which then complicates the recovery process. So um, so I guess can teams be too cautious? Uh, rarely. Um, but uh, for, for the most part, they, they have a good idea of what they're doing. Right. I mean, I see people and I – should stay off of some social media sometimes, but you know, as soon as, soon as Byron Buxton sits out a game because he's feeling a little tender somewhere, people freak out. But you know, when you're talking about past injuries, and Buxton's a guy who's had a number of injuries, um, and and you're paying him a lot of money to be the best player on the team. People want him out there, but if he's going to play through something and get more hurt, like Miguel Sano, um, that's a bigger problem, right? Exactly, and and you look at a person like Buxton who has yes, he has a very significant injury history but if you look at each of his injuries they're they're more or less isolated events like you know when he was younger he broke a finger sliding into in the second base and then he uh tore his labrum in his shoulder crashing into the outfield wall and then you know he got hit on the hand and, and broke uh, broke his hand that way um you know hip flexor strain 
Um, this most recent stuff that happened just kind of slid awkwardly into second base. So you can't necessarily point at each of those injuries and say, hey, they're related to each other. Right. Um, so in, in one sense, it, it can, you know, it's frustrating for all parties involved. You know, it's frustrating for fans. It's, it's definitely frustrating for Buxton. Um, it's frustrating for the Twins because you look at all these injuries and say, hey, these are isolated events. How could we have, how could we have prevented most of these things? And the, and the fact of the matter is they probably couldn't. Right, just unlucky um, in a lot of cases. Right, right, exactly. You know, it'd be one thing if you kept spraining, spraining the ankle over and over and over again and the, and the athlete wasn't doing the proper steps in the rehab process, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's just not the case with Buxton. And, and for the most part, that's not the case with most athletes. So right. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a very complex thing, injuries, that we, we often tend to boil down into, uh, into the simplest forms. So, when you t- I mean, the, the ones who maybe try to rush back, and you had mentioned, you know, if you don't let it heal properly – and I think back to, I've been out of high school for 30 years, and things were done much differently back there. You would turn your ankle, and you would sit out for a little bit, put a little ice on it, and get back in the game. Probably not the best idea. Yeah, yeah, probably not. And, you know, with today's day and age, you know, a lot of things kind of work on a, on a pendulum, right? There's a, uh, the, you know, back in the day, we were maybe too... Um, you know, not cautious enough when it comes to injuries. And then we come today where there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, rest days, planned rest days, uh, load management is the, is the term that's right. the point. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of good science behind some of that load management. And there's a lot of good uh, process behind it um, to show that it is effective. Um, but then there's also, I think, a misunderstanding of, of kind of its, its overall um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, application, maybe. Um, basically, like you load manage, and, and you see this quite a bit in the NBA, where, where players get days off um, because of rest or whatever. Yep. You know, load managing for for one specific player may or may not prevent that player from getting injured. But when you look at uh, like the data across the entire league, um, load management. Um, can lead to potentially lower injuries league-wide. So on an individual basis, maybe load management only can do so much to prevent injuries. Um, but when you look at, instead of one player, you look at, you know, whatever <laughs> whatever 30 times 15 is, about 450 players, um, and you see injuries go down because of load management. So uh, as much progress as we've made in kind of determining how to best handle these athletes and how to get them back, uh, you know, at their strongest, so that they can prevent their injuries. Uh, we have made a whole lot of progress, but there is still some still some progress yet to go. Right, there'll always be room for improvement. Is there mm-hmm. is there um? It seems like a weird question, but is there such a thing as being too in shape? Like you are at such a finely tuned point that it becomes easier to get injured because you you know your your muscles are so. Um, specialized into what you need for that particular sport? Yeah, so uh, in, if you look at the research, there's there's a, a good amount of research out there, particularly in, in um, high school athletes, uh, and they find that the people who, who don't specialize in sports, the athletes who don't specialize in sports, so that play, you know, they still play sports year-round, but instead of just playing basketball, they also run track, or they also play football, or they also play soccer, or whatever. Um, those athletes are far less likely uh, to get injured and far more likely uh, to earn like college scholarships and that kind of stuff than the people that specialize. So in that sense, 
Uh, yes. Uh, if you're just putting your body through the same motions and doing the same thing and doing it all year round and not having any time to stop, uh, there is uh, quite a bit of evidence that that does increase your risk for injury. Um, now, I think, you know, kind of a more specific example, I think we can go back to uh, Byron Buxton, actually, for this one. Uh, go back to when it was, I forget if it was his, like, second year or third year or something like that. Um, slid into second base, broke his finger, okay? That's not something that's necessarily uncommon among baseball players, but if you look at what Buxton, it was like then. Um, incredibly, he's still incredibly fast, but he was faster back then. Well, anytime you move faster, you're going to have more momentum build up. And anytime you have more momentum build up, it's more difficult to stop. That's, oh, just, that's yep. just simple physics. Yep. Um, so what the Twins tried to have Buxton do over the last couple of off seasons to, to maybe prevent some of those types of injuries is to put on more muscle mass. Um, yes, that might slow down um, his, his overall speed, um, but it will provide... Uh, Kind of more cushioning, I guess, for lack of a better term. Okay. Uh, for some of for some of those injuries, like the like crashing into the wall. Um, you know, if he had more muscle bulk, would he have um, torn his labrum? You know, there's no one will be able to, to say whether or not that's the case. But the twins' philosophy was maybe if he had more more muscle mass, more uh, padding, his body would be able to take hits better, uh, and he'd be less susceptible to injury. Um, on that end of the spectrum, it's a little bit more unknown. Uh, it's one of those things where. Okay, that logically from an exercise science and, and medical background it, it, there's some solid theory um, in that in that theory um, but whether or not it's actually effective we just don't have a whole bunch of good data on it at the moment yeah well I just always think um, we never used to hear about ACL injuries in high school and now it seems like all the time and I've seen enough kids and I've seen enough happen right in front of me and I sometimes look and I think some of these people are ones who they might play more than one sport, but they're also playing more than one sport at a time. And sometimes that wear and tear as well. But, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're playing volleyball year round and you're doing that jumping repeatedly or you're playing basketball year round, it's, it seems like that's going to get the better of you in the long run. Exactly. Yep. And, and that's the other thing, you know, uh, if you're, if you're doing too much, uh, there's, a lot of what we know in, in the rehab science and, and injury prevention uh, is is not, you know, very solid just because it's difficult to, to run kind of old standard research studies. Um, but we do, but what we do have a pretty good grasp on is the people that go, you know, from relatively no activity to relatively a lot of activity. There's the one, they're the ones that get injured and the ones that do a lot of activity and don't give them their body enough time to recover. Um, and kind of relax, they're also uh, the ones that get injured uh, most frequently. Right. Uh, so, so that can be kind of the difficult thing, especially when you're in high school and you're thinking you maybe want to play at the next level, uh, trying to get a scholarship or show off you know, for coaches uh, to get their attention. You think you have to be competing you know, in AAU basketball every weekend and then playing baseball three days a week during the summer, and then there's also those football camps that you have to get to. Um, all of that can have an additive effect. Um, and can lead to injuries. So finding the right balance between doing all those things uh, and still leaving time for rest or recovery and being a kid um, is super important as well. Yeah. We're here with Lucas Seehofer. He uh, does some writing for the tw- for Twins Daily for the next. He does some physical therapy. So we've been talking about um, injuries and, and how to deal with them and some of the things that happen in sports. And that leads to a somewhat connected and yet distant topic, the Minnesota Lynx. 
are firing up their season. And as you and I are talking, it's it's game day. It's the first day of the WNBA season, even though the program here won't air for a few more days. But uh, it's, a, it's an interesting year for the Minnesota Lynx, who, let's face it, have been probably the best professional sports team in the state of Minnesota, um, the, the only team that brings championships since 1991. Yeah, yeah, they're, you know, most successful franchise, definitely, uh, and in recent memory, um, uh, in in Minnesota, you know, dominant, top of the standings uh, most years of the WNBA. Um, and, yeah, like you said, this, this season, this summer, is going to be pretty interesting with uh, Sylvia Fowles, uh, multi-time, a champion, former MVP, uh, reigning defensive player of the year. This will be her last season. Um, and then Nafisa Collier, the team's arguably second best player, who just recently signed an extension and will be kind of the, the, face, of the uh, face of the franchise moving forward. Um, she's going to be out for most, if not all, of the summer um, as she's going to be expecting her first uh, child here in the next month or so. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how things play out and, and how the season goes this year. Where does Sylvia Fowles rank in the WNBA history? I mean, she's she's fantastic. Yeah, she's she's definitely a Hall of Famer. Um, I think that that's uh, that's no doubt. Um, as as far as where she lines up in all time greats, um, it's tough to, to compare to her to say someone like a Diana Taurasi or a Sue Bird. Uh, because they play uh, different positions, have different roles on the team. Uh, but when you look at, you know, um, bigs, front court players, um, she's one of the best of all time. She's been a walking double-double more or less since her first um, season in the in the WNBA. Um, spent her first handful of years with the Chicago Sky, where she was uh, kind of recognized as a really uh, solid player um, uh, and then really took off when she joined the league's, uh, Lynx, uh, like I said, winning MVP. Uh, I think she's a, you know, Maya Moore uh, is, is probably a future Hall of Famer as well. She hasn't played in a handful of years. Lindsey Whalen was just uh, inducted this past uh, winter um, and that announced she was going to be part of the next Hall of Fame class. Um, I think, you know, give it, give it a number of years after Syl retires and she'll be, she'll be right up there with Whalen as, as, a, as a NBA or as a WRBA Hall of Famer. And, and you know, it's, it sometimes it's very nice. You you know, hey, this is the last go around, and there's some extra motivation maybe for her teammates. Not that there's never enough motivation to try to win a championship, but you, know, you want to go out on a winning note. Does it does it feel like in recent years, like Fowles could continue to play at a high level, or is she going out at the right time while she's still kind of at the top of her game, but maybe seeing some receding? Yeah, it, it is interesting. So during the 2020 um, pandemic season, um, she missed a bulk of the season with a calf injury. Um, and that was one of the first times in her career where she kind of had a, had a muscle injury that caused her to miss uh, most of the season. Um, and then last year she comes back, she was, you know, back to her, her old self, one of the defensive player of the year. Um, you know, on the, on the defensive end of the court, um, she's still as dominant as she's ever been. Um, she could play probably another five, six years and still be very very dominant defensively just because of um, her, her stature. She's 6'6". Um, if you've ever seen her in person, you, you can tell that she doesn't have an ounce of body fat on her. She's just um, she's just one of those players that you know that when you are driving in the paint, <laughs> you don't want to go up against her because you know she's going to block your shot or alter it or whatever. Um, offensively, she's maybe taken a little bit of a step back just because she is such a um, 
focus on the block. She doesn't really have an outside game. Um, but that being said, she's she still averaged a double-double last year. I think she'll average a double-double this season uh, as long as she stays healthy. You know, if she really wanted to, she could probably play another two, three years and still be one of the best players in the WNBA. Um, but she had mentioned uh, towards the end of last season when she was thinking about potentially retiring, how uh, she had other interests that she wanted to get into. You know, after she... Uh, retires from the WNBA. She wants to go back to grad school um, and get a degree in mortuary science, for instance, oh. because um, she really loves that field and, and has a, had a passion for that uh, really for her whole life. So she even said that if the if the whole basketball thing didn't work out, she was going to do that way back in the day too. So wow. um, she also talked about potentially wanting uh, to start a family at some point. And uh, being in her mid thirties. Um, she, she thought time was maybe kind of running out on that opportunity. So, right. you know, I think in terms of skills, she still has a lot more of the tank. But in terms of other interests, um, I think she thinks this is the right time to go out. And it's, it's hard to argue uh, with, a, with a person who's motivated and uh, thinks their time is up. Yeah. And, and, again, there's something to be said about going out while you're still – you have game and you're not watching them kind of fritter away. It's interesting. Maybe if she uh, – I have a sister who's a mortician. Perhaps uh, <laughs> she'll encounter Sylvia if she decides to go that route and, and do that. You know, it, it's – and you, you mentioned um, – I lost the name. Collier, Collier who's yeah. having a baby. It, it's a tough spot to be in as a professional female athlete. Like you want to start a family and at the same time, you know – being um, being a professional athlete is very difficult when you're um, wanting to have a family and, and raise your children and everything else, too. Yeah, exactly. And, and this happens, you know, uh, probably most years there, there's somebody who misses uh, some time due to pregnancy. Um, uh, Odyssey Sims, who actually recently re-signed with the Lynx, who was a member of the Lynx uh, in 2019 and 2020, um, she missed a good chunk of the 2020 season. Um, because of uh, she had her she had a child, uh, she was able to come back and play half the season. And and uh, Nafisa on her uh, media call the other day talking about her extension, she had mentioned that she was going to do everything in her power to get back. Right. Uh, but like you said, yeah, it, I mean it's a it's a huge sacrifice uh, for the athlete uh, for their team uh, and the and the WNBA, you know, for uh, who I think does most things pretty well. Um, one of the things that kind of puts everybody in a bind in that situation is that um they you WNBA has some unique contract rules um and one of the rules is that if a player misses time due to pregnancy um you can't suspend their contract and get salary relief Hmm. um so for you can suspend contracts for other reasons and get salary relief so that the team can um, sign a different player um, and have a full roster. But for, for pregnancy, that isn't allowed in the current collective bargaining agreement. So wow. when Cheryl Reeve says, hey, the Lynx are going to start the season with 11 players on the roster, that includes Collier, who probably won't play at all. So really, the Lynx are going to be starting the season with 10. Um, and they currently have one player, uh, Kayla McBride, who's still playing over in Europe and won't probably come back stateside until the beginning of June. Uh, they have another player, um, another couple of players actually who are who are currently hurt and recovering from injuries. Um, so really, uh, heading into it would be Friday night's uh, regular season game. They would only have eight active players on the roster uh, available to suit up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, in that instance, the WNBA has some rules in which you can kind of exceed the salary cap and go sign a couple of players. Um, the link signed um, a couple, so there they'll be up to ten, and they'll have a have a full uh, squad come tonight's game. But um, 
yeah, it's it's uh, interesting how the, how the WNBA operates in that kind of instance compared to uh, the NBA when you have 15 players on a roster. Um, and if you do, you can, you know, exceed the salary cap uh, if you're saying like re-signing a player that was already on your team and so on and so forth. Um, in the WNBA, they have what's called a hard salary cap, so you cannot exceed that under any circumstance unless, uh, you know, given this um, exception to the league, if you don't have enough players on your roster. Okay. And and rosters are only 12 players instead of 15 players. Um, so it, it creates a, really some, some unique circumstances for, for teams as they're trying to figure out how to, how to construct their roster. Right, interesting, yeah. So this is a team that, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about load management and stuff. This is a more compressed season this year because of uh, some fall championship stuff occurring. And so managing injuries, um, um, I'm going to say the name wrong, McCautry has a sore knee she's dealing with. Uh, you know, Cheryl Reeve has her work cut out for her here because you have all these games in a, in a much tighter time frame. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, yeah, McCautry, she's coming off. Um, so she played 2020, uh, the 2020 season, no problem. Uh, but she tore her left ACL in 2019 and her right ACL in 2021. Uh, so she's, you know, had missed two of the last three seasons because of knee injuries. Um, and now uh, she's going to be missing the whole uh, the season opener because of, of knee soreness. Um, uh, in what was kind of a surprise, uh, the Lynx cut, uh, who was expected to be their starting uh, point guard, uh, Leisure Clarendon, uh, because they are still recovering from a stress fracture uh, in their right lower leg. Uh, and Cheryl Reed didn't think that uh, they were going to be ready and available for enough throughout the season um, to basically justify keeping uh, keeping them on the contract or on the on the roster, so yeah, she has she has lots of tough decisions. Uh, she did have lots of tough decisions to, to pair the roster down to the you know the opening day roster, and it's probably only going to continue um, in the, as the regular season goes by, or at least until say Kayla McBride comes back from overseas, uh, Demiris Dantes comes back from her foot injury. Um, it's a yeah, it's a it's a juggling act that I. Uh, I uh, think it's probably <laughs> keeping, up her, keeping her up at night at times. Yeah, and there's no doubt Cheryl Reeve has been a fantastic coach. I don't think you can question the job that she's done, but this is definitely going to be um, a real challenge for her. Where do the Lynx land this season realistically? Can they contend for a title? Yeah, so I think, I think it'll be interesting. So I think they have some of the best top-end talent in the league, right? So Sylvia Fowles. Uh, she'll, I think she'll be right up there for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, if things go right, she could probably still contend for an MVP. Um, Kayla McBride, um, while maybe not a superstar, uh, is you know all-star caliber, one of the better shooting guards um, in, in the WNBA. Um, and when she's going right, she can be you know could be the best player on the court on any given night. Um, but when you look at the team as a whole, right now they're kind of lacking. Uh, maybe some some overall talent or some com- consistency at the point guard position, which is super important to, in the WNBA, just like it's important in the NBA. Um, they don't necessarily have the deepest roster. Um, some of their uh, uh, players at the end of the bench don't have a ton of uh, WNBA experience. Um, or um, you know, you have the likes of McCautry, who in her prime was one of the best players in the league, but now it's just unsure of what she's going to be. Um, because of how much time she's missed over the last handful of seasons. Um, I think they have the, the, the personnel to have probably a, 
you know, top, you know, maybe four or five defense. Um, and the offense is a little bit more up in the air. It'll be kind of interesting to see how that grows and develops as the season goes on. But I think, you know, can they compete for the playoffs? I think they'll absolutely make the playoffs. Um, there's 12 teams uh, in the WNBA, top eight teams make the playoffs. Um, I think they're definitely pretty solidly within that top eight. The real question will be, will they compete for home court advantage um, or are they going to be one of the lower seats? Um, I think as things stand right now, they're probably closer to six, seven, or eight than they are one, two, or three. Okay. All right. It You know, back during the pandemic and all these things were in a bubble and everything, the WNBA was I think the only league that actually showed growth in its television ratings, uh, people were tuning in, they were watching that compared to other professional sports. Is it time to capitalize on that? Is it time for the WNBA to expand? Or, I mean, is there enough talent out there to, to make that case? Yeah, so I think, and I think, you know, Cheryl Reeve has said this, most of the players have said this, the player union has said this. Basically, the only person that hasn't said this, uh, you know, maybe perhaps frustratingly, it is. Uh, Kathy Engelbert, the, the commissioner. Um, but as things stand right now, there is a, a lot of WNBA talent that is having trouble holding on to WNBA jobs. So there's 12 teams, and you can only carry 12 players on a roster. So at max, there's 144 jobs available in, in the WNBA. And there are more than 144 WNBA caliber players. Yes. Um, you, you look at, um, you know, like the Lynx um, cut Crystal Dangerfield recently, who was the 2020 uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, granted, she struggled last year, but, you know, you'd never see something like that in the NBA where a player won uh, Rookie of the Year and then was no longer on their team, uh, you know, three years later. Right. Um, Renaya Davis, the team's uh, uh, 2021 uh, first round draft pick, um, she was cut. Um, she didn't play at all last year because she had uh, an injured foot um, and was cut um, after having a pretty strong overseas uh, season this past winter and then a pretty strong preseason as well. Um, so I think, you know, expansion is it absolutely should um, be on the table. Um, and as far as how many teams uh, should be expanded to, you know, I think you could justify uh, two or three cities. Um, bring the total up to 15, um, I think you could easily do that and still field quality, competitive uh, competitive teams. And like you said, the NBA, the WNBA is growing, and women's basketball in general is growing year after year in terms of uh, TV ratings and income uh, being brought in. Um, you know, the, the league brings in millions and millions and millions of dollars each year. Um, and if you look at the, the highest salaries in the WNBA, I think the highest paid player this, this summer is like Two hundred and sixty thousand, two hundred and seventy thousand dollars, something yeah. like that. Um, I mean, you look at that compared to the N- the NBA. Granted, the NBA has been around for fifty years longer, but you look at the NBA and the highest paid players, you know, making ten, twenty times that amount. Yeah. Um, so I think I think uh, expansion is it should be on the table. If it's not, then I, I think uh, the WNBA would be, be uh, would be better because of it. Yeah, and these these women's players are almost forced to go play overseas. They make more money over there, um, you know, and, and of course that leads to some other things like Brittany Griner's in a difficult situation now over in Russia, um, and that's got to be tough not knowing what's happening there too with her. Yeah, exactly. You know, when when, it, when she was first uh, detained, there wasn't a whole lot of information uh, being provided on, on what was going on. Um, the 
it, what uh, many media members kind of around the United States and, and players around the United States are being told was kind of keep things quiet, keep it on the down low for now until things get figured out as to what's going on. And then recently the WNBA came out and said that they had evidence to suspect that her um, being arrested was she was falsely arrested and is being held prisoner falsely. Um, and things are obviously pretty tender over there in right. Russia right now with the war yeah. in Ukraine going on. So, um, yeah, it's just it's unfortunate that, you know, players are being put in that situation where those potential things can happen because you have oligarchs over in Russia who are willing to pay athletes millions of dollars. Um, well, here in the United States, freaking grinder would make, you know, what, $150,000, something like that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, can the, and, and beginning next year, the WNBA uh, has a, is going to adopt new rules in which players who do play overseas, if they don't uh, come to camp uh, in the United States, or if they don't report to their teams by, like, I forget the specific day, but it's, it's basically, like, this time, like the beginning of May, that they'll be suspended for the whole season and can't play that season. Wow. So now you have a player like Kayla McBride who her option is, okay, do I play overseas and make, you know, maybe 10 times what I'm making in the United States? Or do I play in the United States because if I don't, I can't play for the rest of the summer. Yeah. Um, it's, it's uh, The league is really unfortunately kind of putting players um, kind of in tough situations there. Right. Lucas Seehofer is joining us here on Whatever Flips Your Waffle this week here on 365sportscast.com. We're running the gamut. We've talked about a lot of injury things, and, and as a physical therapist, Lucas has some good insight on that. Just a uh, little preview here of the Minnesota Lynx, and we're going to finish up this week talking about the Minnesota Twins, the first-place Minnesota Twins. Would anybody have predicted that before the season started? First place, maybe not. No. Um, I thought they were going to be better than most people thought they were, but uh, first place, I, I thought the White Sox were going to have that in the bag. But uh, speaking of injuries, I mean, yeah. you can't have a. There's not many more teams in the league more banged up than they are right now. And they're just. I don't. Is this the Minnesota sports curse? They just seem snake bit when you list off. When you make the list of players who have been or are still hurt, you know Buxton spent some time as you talked about Sonny Gray, who looks like he's going to come back here pretty soon. Bailey Ober, uh, Miguel Sano might be out till at least midseason. Alex Kirilov, now Correa out for an undetermined time as they figure out how long his finger is going to take to heal. Um, and, and mix in with that, all of a sudden COVID is rearing its head again. And and what what can a team do? <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, you know the that's part of the reason why uh, the to start the year the. MLB allowed teams to carry 28 people on the roster because they figured something like that might happen. Um, it's also why they have the 40-man roster where they can kind of call up and send down minor league players as needed as long as they're on that 40-man roster. Um, part of that is just really bad luck, and part of that is, hey, that's what happens in baseball. Yes. <laughs> people yeah. get injured all the time, and it's, uh, it's the next man up mentality. I think for the most part, uh, the people that have come up and, and you know, uh, in place of some of these injured players have done really well. You look at the Josh Winder, um, Yon Durans, um, even like your Trevor Larnick, who was called up kind of begrudgingly because they didn't really have any other options. Now right. he's uh, ripping the cover off the ball while Alex Kirilov is, is still trying to get things figured out down at AAA. Um, so I think for as many injuries as they've suffered, I don't think you can, you can complain too much about people that have come up and kind of uh, replace some of those players. We'll see how uh, Royce Lewis does now that he's gonna he's gonna get the call to 
uh, replace Correa. Yeah, that's exciting. He's been just doing so well uh, in the minor leagues, and, and everybody wants to see him, and you hope um, you hope that he can kind of fulfill those expectations. And it's a good problem to have, I guess. We've seen in past years where they're calling these guys up, last year especially out of necessity, and they just weren't quite ready for it. Um, you know, Bailey Ober did okay last year. Maybe he wasn't quite ready. The experience might have helped him. Um, you know, Joel Ryan's experience certainly did. He's been playing well. But Kirilov is the one that really concerns me. You know, this, this recurring injury or, you know, problems with his wrist. Um, are you at all concerned? And, again, you know a little bit more about this or have a little more insight from your, um, your education. Could this be something we really have to worry about that it's going to keep happening? Yeah, so it's kind of tough to say because I don't think it's ever been formally announced kind of like what exactly he's dealing with um, as it pertains to the wrist. Um, there's a couple different things that could be going on. Um, and, you know, if you consider each of them kind of in, as an isolated event, they're usually not too big of a deal. Um, but what maybe is a little concerning is that Kirilov had this last summer, tried to play through it, didn't go so well, so then he elected to have surgery. Um, and then have a setback um, that was never really elaborated on, I think in like November or December. Um, and then did okay during spring training and then it popped up again. Um, he recently got a cortisone shot to try and calm things down and now he's, he's rehabbing. You know, I think it's tough to say kind of what the prognosis is, is looking forward uh, just because we don't have a ton of information specifically on what he's, uh, what he's dealing with. But I think what, what you can start to look at is, you know, when, when Kirilov was really succeeding in the minor leagues, he was um, getting on base, he was hitting for a fairly high average, he was, um, you know, hitting the ball hard, uh, having lots of doubles and home runs and that kind of stuff. I was able to play a capable left field and a bit of grace all at first base. Um, and ever since he started, he first kind of injured his wrist, his, his power has really kind of zapped. Um, he's, he's maybe still hitting for a decent average, but... Uh, they're mostly singles. He doesn't have a ton of extra base hits, or if they are like a double, it's not a double that was, you know, if there was a warmer day out there, if the wind was going a different direction, it'd be a home run. They're yes. kind of, you know, the pulls a liner to the corner or shoots it the other way, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think I, I'm optimistic that in the long run it'll be okay. Sometimes these things just take a little while to work to work themselves out. Um, and, and as much as we'd like it to be the case, very rarely is rehab kind of a linear progression in, where, in which things just keep getting better and better and better. Um, but I think uh, at this point, it's kind of up in the air. We need to, I've kind of caught some of, uh, some of his games in, in uh, St. Paul as he's been rehabbing on his rehab assignment. Um, and you swing him. Uh, it looks like he's swinging hard. doesn't seem to be really... Um, you know, taking anything off his swing. There hasn't been any reports that he's still feeling soreness so that the Saints are going to, sh- you know, shut him down or anything like that. Uh, but that, that, that power, that lift, still just hasn't, hasn't manifested. So that'll definitely be something to monitor, not only while he's in AAA, but once he does eventually make it back to the Twins. Right. I, I think most Twins fans anticipate that he is our next first baseman, our next regular, that is probably not going to be around next year. Um, we've been filling in. I mean, all of a sudden you see Luis Arise playing first base, and he's done, you know, an admirable job over there. Um, but we need a long-term solution, and that's the hope I think is that he is it. Him, or uh, you even look at someone like a Jose Miranda, who could play, uh, who can play third base, second base, first base. Um, Kirilov can obviously play right field, left field, first base. 
Um, I think the twins, if given, you know, if you were to give them truth serum and, and say, hey, what's the best case scenario? What do we want to have happen here? It would be Kirilov playing first base for the next 10 years for the Minnesota Twins. Um, just because he's kind of got the most uh, feel for the position. He's left-handed, so he can only play, you know, so many positions to begin with. Um, but if, if for whatever reason he isn't able uh, to stick at first base, um, Jose Miranda uh, is, can do a decent job there. Um, you even look at a kind of a lesser known name in the minor leagues, a, a Jermaine Palacios, um, who's primarily a shortstop, but he's also played third base, second base. Uh, he's played pretty much every position except for center field and catcher. Um, so he could maybe slide in there every now and then too. So the Twins do have options, but, uh, but they definitely want Kirilov as kind of the main guy moving forward. Absolutely. But it's a lot of positivity around the Twins these days. It's exciting. Um, hopefully they can kind of keep that rolling and and as we've talked about, May is a month where they can win a, a lot of ball games, I think, and uh, hopefully keep that role going. Keep people interested. We like to have things to be interested in. The Lynx firing up their season, the Twins in first place. Um, it, it, it's really a fun time to be a Minnesota sports fan as the sun starts to shine once again. Lucas, thank you so much for joining us this week. Lucas Seehofer, check him out. Some writing on Twins Daily and at the next and uh, you can find him on Twitter and follow along with some of that uh, material he does. Fascinating stuff here. Lucas, thank you for talking about injuries and the links and the Twins. Yeah, thanks, Mark. We'll, uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. It was fun. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Normally, you might hear an advertisement here. I'd like to take a moment this week, however, to give a huge shout-out to my wife, Michelle. All the things she does to support whatever flips your waffle Anytime I do something kind of offbeat like this, she's always there and uh, backs me up on these kind of things. Um, and certainly I, I'm you know, very grateful for that and want to say thank you to my wife, Michelle. I love you and appreciate all the support you give me. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. As you just heard talking with Lucas, you know we, we touched on a lot of things, but especially the Lynx, he's got a, a real passion for the Minnesota Lynx and knows a whole lot more about them than I do. And so it was really interesting to talk about the injuries they have and how they have to do their roster formation and, and how that kind of limits them a little bit. And in their first two games this season, you saw that. And Coach Cheryl Reeve even said, it's really difficult waiting for somebody to come back over from Europe and you have these injuries and you have to make these decisions and you just haven't played together enough and, and don't have all the resources to put you where you want to be. And by all indications, the Lynx should be fine by the end of the season. But, you know, last year they started 0-4 and, and didn't look great. And they've started 0-2, and, and as you're listening to this, possibly 0-3. Um, we're recording on Tuesday, and the Lynx are playing this evening. But it's a little distressing when you have that team that you kind of expect year in and year out to do well. Um, and they've been in both ball games, first game of the season. Uh, they just got blown out of the water in the second half. Um, and the second game of the season, the same kind of thing. You have this lull offensively, and you're unable to do anything. Um, I think they tied for the least amount of points in a quarter in franchise history during their second game of the season. And again, we expect that the ship will be righted. Um, hopefully it has been a little bit as you listen to this on Wednesday that they're 1-2 instead of 0-3. Uh, one never knows, but um, you know, the, a team that we hang a lot of hopes on in this state to do something. And like Lucas said, you know they have a chance to compete, but they're probably more 
like the bottom part of the uh, playoff picture. But you know, you put some things together and, and you make a run, and and um, you never know what's going to happen in the world of sports. That's why they play the games. The Wild are sitting here and again playing Game Five, the crucial Game Five, um, as this is being put together, and it's just been a weird series. This you know blowing each other out, um, each going one and one on their home ice between the Wild and the Blues. And I already saw speculation partway through game four that if the Wild win, well, don't, come on, Minnesota fans, don't put stuff like that down um, because you know what's going to happen just as well as I do when you say things like that. Things will go haywire, it'll go sideways, and indeed it did for the Wild in game four. So here we're at a best of three series essentially, and I would bet dollars to donuts. This will be a seven-game series by the time it's all said and done. Um, I think the Wild will win at home. I think they'll lose in St. Louis in game six, and then it's anybody's guess in game seven. Um, And whether next week we'll be talking about the Wild in round two or not will remain to be seen. A lot's going to have to do with goaltending really stepping up and making up for some of the deficiencies caused by penalties and and turnovers and things like that um, that the Wild just can't continue to do if they want to be a good, quality, Stanley Cup hopeful-style team. Some Vikings news this week. You know, A couple weeks ago, we had Troy Ramage on here talking about the draft, and they've signed a number of uh, undrafted free agents. They've reached their roster limit of 90 that they can have on the team. Picked up some interesting names. Nobody that would stand out to you, but you know, for instance, signing another punter, which is not an area I thought we had a whole lot of concern in last year. You know, my special teams really was exceptional overall, uh, especially compared to recent years in Vikings history. Uh, but you know what? There's a, it never hurts to have a little bit of um, you know competition when it comes to training camp. It makes everybody a little bit better instead of just saying, hey, it's your job. Unless you're such an established, great player at your position, and we're talking about punters, you think about Ray Guy from the Oakland Raiders way back in the day. Um, you know, Greg Coleman probably didn't have a whole lot to work about after, or worry about, excuse me, after he'd been established here in Minnesota for a little bit of time. But otherwise, hey, yep, bring somebody in. It doesn't hurt. Um, you want to fill out this roster a little bit anyway and and have those sort of competitions. And again, you never know. Um, these guys can surprise you, not just the punter, of course, but other positions. And uh, you never know when the next Adam Thielen's going to show up on your doorstep. And if you develop that player correctly, could really have an impact on the team for years to come. The, uh, the schedule for next year is kind of coming out. And the Vikings have some interesting games there as well. They will open at home against the New York Giants, and you have to think, boy, if we want to get off to a good start, uh, the New York Giants would probably be a good place to do that. They did not have a great year last year. I'm sure they'll be improved. They're they're going to make some progress. Um, but you start off with them at home, automatically you say a game the Vikings should win. Week two, they play Philadelphia on Monday night football. Um, so that'll be a big matchup right away as well. And so you're going to knock down a couple NFC East teams right away and uh, and play some of those. The Vikings will also play overseas this year. And I believe that's week four against New Orleans. And, you know, the best part about that is that um, that was going to be a home game for the Saints. 
And you think about the house of horrors that the Superdome has been for the Vikings um, over the years. And, of course, we all remember the 2009 NFC Championship game especially. But I'll take that game over there. Uh, the Vikings still get nine home games this year uh, with that 17. All the, all the teams that lose a home game because of traveling over to Europe um, are ones that had nine home games to begin with. But I'm sure that the NFL looked at that and said, here could be a marquee matchup, and we're going to put them over there and play. So that'll be a early Sunday morning at 8.30, I believe 8.30 our time Sunday morning football game. Um, which means you could have a whole lot of football to watch on that day. Start with that game, go with the noon game, the 3.30 game, Sunday night football. A lot of things could go on if you are really a diehard football fan. You'll have a lot of football to watch that day. But, uh, you know, the Vikings, as I've said, and I'll continue to say, I think should be a playoff team this year. If things kind of break their way and avoiding some critical injuries, that sort of a thing. Um, but but a lot of time between now and then, and we'll certainly speculate plenty before we get there. Let's finish up with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, last week, we talked about them playing four in Baltimore, three at home against Oakland, and I had suggested you should be able to take three out of four from Baltimore and at least two out of three, if not sweep the Oakland Athletics, and the Twins came close. A little disappointing that they split in Baltimore. Again, the Orioles not a great team, but the, the Twins just sort of fell apart at the wrong times. Um, you know, the game losing 5-3, to three, giving up five solo home runs, that's not something you expect this year. Um, this year especially with the ball being a little bit more dead than it has been in the past. Uh, but then coming home and sweeping the Oakland A's, three one-run ball games, and certainly <laughs> Twins fans on the edge of their seats. Um, if you scroll through Twitter and you see things like the Emilio Pagan experience is not one I want to keep doing, uh, boy, he's got shades of Ron Davis in him, the old Vikings closer from the early to mid-80s, and, and every single time. And he just he doesn't seem to have the control that he's been known for in the past. Hopefully that can get um, resolved. But um, Duran as well came in for a two-inning save and just continues to break records on on the miles per hour on his pitches, 102, 103 miles an hour. How are you going to hit that? How are you going to hit the the... the the splitter that comes at 95, that's that's unbelievable. You just got to keep control. He got in a little bit of trouble in the ninth inning against the A's the other day, walked a guy, hit a guy, um, but then kind of settled in and, and took care of business. This is an interesting Twins team. Despite injuries, despite all that, they're finding ways to win. And, again, what they're doing this year is they're beating teams that are not very good. And now they have to turn around. And again, as you're listening to this, it's game two against the Houston Astros, really the only team the rest of the month of May that they play that has an over 500 record. And the Astros are good, and we'll see if Correa is able to come back. Certainly a scare with the potential breaking of his finger. I'm glad that didn't happen, but he still uh, is a little unsure about when he's coming back. Um, possibly, again, as you're listening, he might be in the ball game. He was saying for sure he probably wasn't going to play Tuesday. Uh, Buxton dinged up again. Um, you know, Larnick put on the disabled list. The Twins are running out of, they, they just don't have any position players left um, on their 40-man roster. If more people continue to get hurt, they're going to have to really do some some creative shuffling if they're going to figure things out. But as these guys come back, um, I saw one take online where they said, no matter what, Royce Lewis has already shown that he deserves to stay in the majors. 
And a lot of that is his defense. He stepped right in and, and made some plays defensively at shortstop in place of Correa. You know, we've seen Jose Miranda come in and do some things at times, hit the ball hard, going opposite field. And so these, this young talent, again, this is the key. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have people dinged up. And can you bring these young guys up and make something happen? Last year was not the case. Last year, anytime they brought somebody up, it was just seemed like a dumpster fire about every time. This year, good things are happening. This is um, a major league team, too, that when you look at their pitching, and despite all the different things, the pitching staff going into Tuesday's game owned the fourth best ERA in baseball at 3.11. That's incredible. And somehow they're piecing this thing together. Uh, you know, Sonny Gray comes back, pitches really well, but he's going to have to build back up. You knew he wasn't going to be able to go for very long. But then Paddock comes in and he gets hurt. Um, some inflammation, some strain in his, in his um, elbow. That's never a good sign. And and it's nice, you know, with Jace Tingler acting in place of um, Rocco Baldelli that he's got experience with Paddock and he understands some of the things that he's been through in the past. And so um, hopefully everybody's going to get back soon. Um, Baldelli and Arise and Bundy dealing with COVID and stuff like that. But the Twins are, are fun to watch these days and we'll hope again that they can continue this really nice run at the top of the American League Central. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On May 11th in 1858, that's a long time ago, Minnesota officially became a state, and because of that, we have Minnesota sports. On May 11th in 1982, the Twins received Tom Brunanski from the Angels, in a trade for Doug Corbett and Rob Wilfong. Bernanski, of course, would go on to play a crucial role in the 1987 World Series Championship. On May 12th, in 1982, the Twins traded Butch Winnegar and Roger Erickson to the Yankees for some rather unforgettable names. So on back-to-back days, some trades for the Twins in 1982, and the Griffiths were accused of being uh, rather frugal, at the time, of course, it all worked out in the end for the Twins. On May 13th in 1989, the Twins' Kirby Puckett hit four doubles in one game in a 10-8 win over Toronto. He would go on the next day to hit two more doubles, six consecutive at-bats with a double. Pretty impressive for Kirby. On May 13th in 2011, Harmon Killebrew entered hospice care as he dealt with cancer. And later on May 17th, that same year, just four days later, Harmon Killebrew, one of the greatest twins ever, passed away. On May 14th, in 2018, former Twins manager Frank Quillacy died. He managed the Twins in the early 70s and had right around a 500 record. On May 15th in 1991, Paul Molitor of the Brewers at the time hit for the cycle in a win against the Twins at the Metrodome. Molitor, of course, from Minnesota, would come to play for the Twins later that decade and then manage the Twins not too long ago. On May 16th in 1984, the Twins sold over 51,000 tickets for a game, but just over 6,000 people showed up. Harvey McKay had bought a bunch to help meet a clause in the Metrodome lease where if the Twins didn't sell enough tickets that year, they could break their lease and move. So even as far back as 1984... Um, owners were looking to possibly move the Twins out of Minnesota. Here they had this 
big new stadium, and they were, still weren't happy with it. On May 16th in 2003, the Anaheim Ducks completed a 4-0 sweep of the Minnesota Wild in the Western Conference Finals of the NHL. Of course, the Wild had early success in their careers here in Minnesota, and it was an exciting run that year. On May 16th in 2014, the Twins beat the Mariners 5-4 at Target Field, notching win number 4,224 since they moved to Minnesota back in 1961, which was one more than the franchise won in all its years as the Washington Senators. On May 17th in 1963, Bob Allison became the first twin to hit three home runs in one game in an 11-4 win in Cleveland. May 17, 1998, David Wells of the Yankees threw a perfect game against the Twins, winning 4 to nothing. I remember sitting on my couch watching that game on Sunday afternoon, as I recall, and later on David Wells would talk about the hangover that he had from the night before, possibly still a little bit inebriated. For our local listeners, this week in Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva Sports, May 12th, golf is at Blue Earth, softball is home versus Medford, and baseball is at Medford. May 13th, girls golf is at Janesville, softball is at home against Triton and Blooming Prairie. It's make-up time here. we got to get some games in. Uh, baseball is at home against Alden Conger. Plus, we have our thespians putting on a play at the school, 7 o'clock on Friday evening, Sunday the 15th at 2.30. It's a comedy, deals with the Brothers Grimm and all those fairy tales. So come on out to the school and enjoy that as well. May 14th is the conference track meet at Triton over in Dodge Center. And May 16th, golf at Wasika. Softball is at home versus USC. And baseball is at United South Central in Wells. As always, all of those are subject to change based on the weather, which finally seems to be turning around a little bit. Well, that's going to do it. Another helping of waffles is complete here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you joined us this week. Hope you'll continue to tune in each and every week right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. Remember, if you can't catch the original broadcast, jot it down each week's episode. Replays Thursday at 10, Friday at 7, Saturday at 10, Monday at 8, and Tuesday at 10, all Eastern Standard Time. You can also head over to YouTube, search up whatever flips your waffle, and you can view any of our past shows. Remember, if you have some comments, if you have a possibility of being a good interview for the show. Email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at MrD1973. Next week, right back into Minnesota sports, will the Twins continue their good play atop the American League Central? Will the Wild be eyeing the second round of the NHL playoffs or will they be eyeing the offseason? And how will the links continue to do? I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.